When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Today on Barca Talk, La Liga is back and we're feeling the joy of its return. Some news from the league is ruffling some feathers in the players' union, but fans in North America will get to see competitive La Liga matches on their own continent. The transfer window is still open and Barcelona is still doing business. We have high hopes for this season and so do you. And Messi led us to a win over Alaves to start off La Liga right. This direct TV is killing me. <laughs> Dude, I I spent I spent the better part of two hours on Friday just trying to figure out how I was going to watch games this season because I um, I canceled my subscription to Fubo. Okay. Uh, when the summer started, because they weren't going to be showing yeah. any of the yeah. World Cup games, and I yeah. I wanted to save the money, so I just but sure. it, I was paying something like eighteen dollars a month for Fubo. Okay. I cancel it. And so then I go back the other day to reinstate it, and now it's gone up to like forty five bucks a month. And I'm just thinking that's too much for yeah. what what I'm looking for from them because I really just want be in. I don't want any yeah, other. Yeah, yeah. I don't need any of their other stuff, right? So I finally settled on because I don't even have cable either. Yeah, 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 we have zero cable. We're kind of a cord cutting yeah, yeah. household yeah, here. Yeah, of <laughs> but I figured out that Sling would give me a good option, so I went with Sling. It's only I think 10 bucks a month and okay. I get all these Spanish channels. It's all oh, Spanish. Nice. So I get BN and BN Espanol and then all these other Spanish channels, including Pasiones. Get oh, to, nice. I could watch my novelas. So what is it? Sling TV or something? Yeah, or what? Sling TV. And we have a Roku TV, so we can just use the Sling app on, on that and I could watch it on my TV and it's the picture's great and it's only I think ten bucks a month. And I can watch other things in Spanish and work on my Espanol. Yes. That's nice. That's a good job, buddy. Yeah, thank you. So anyway, this is Barca Talk. Uh thanks for joining us. I'm Brian Henderson, uh coming to you from Buffalo, New York. Joining me as always is Gabriel Quiroga. How's it going, man? Brian, my Barca brother from another mother. You see what I did I'm there? All, I did. I'm, I'm all coked up. But by Coca-Cola, of course. By Coca-Cola. Coca-Cola, right? yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm ex- man, I'm excited for La Liga, especially after last night's victory. Of course, our new season, season two, which, you know, I think will be faster, stronger, bigger, more explosions. Right. So I- <laughs> We're really going to try and convert this into an action, th- an action thriller podcast about FC Barcelona. Yeah, I mean, I'm just I'm excited for this upcoming season. Last night was was a great start, and you know we have a lot of new things that we're going to introduce this season that I'm excited for as well. Yeah. So it's a new season, um, but we have been working through the summer here and there, both on and off the mic, working on some things. If you've been ignoring us during the summer, welcome back. And if you haven't listened to our special episode about first visits to the camp new, I think you'll like it. Uh, It's called to the camp new. I'm pretty pleased with it. I think it came out pretty well. So if you haven't listened to that yet, check that out too and tell a friend about it if you would. Uh, But also, we have a couple of announcements for the show, since we're starting off a new season here. You're going to start hearing ads on the show, commercials. Uh, But don't let these commercials fool you. We are not raking it in from these at all. It's pennies, or maybe even fractions of pennies, for each time you hear an ad. So we're not at the level we're going for yet, as far as revenue from those ads. But just by listening to the show now and the ads, you're giving a couple fractions of a penny to the podcast. So thank you all for listening. If you do not like ads and you want to support the show, you can become a regular supporter through Patreon. So putting down some of your own cold, hard cash. We have three tiers of support, 
$3 a month, $6 a month, and $9 a month. And any one of those will get you your own personal podcast feed to hear episodes commercial-free right in your podcast player. And for the upper tiers, you get a weekly bonus episode. And all the tiers have some fun merch, which is all based on our new logo designed by Carlos Rojas. And my favorite is the mug for the top-tier supporters. It has our logo on both sides, so no matter how you hold your mug, you can see it. And in the background is this audio waveform, and it's all over a blue-to-red gradient background. It's a really cool mug. Uh, and, and we're also going to have drawings for Barca gear once we reach 50 supporters. So go to barsatalk.net slash support to click through to Patreon and become a part of the Barca Talk inner circle. Do it. Okay, announcements over. And now, the news. La Liga in the USA. So this is a big and controversial news story that broke last week. La Liga has formed a 15-year agreement with Relevant, the company that organizes the International Champions Cup. And part of their plan is to stage a competitive La Liga game in the United States, I guess one a year. I don't know what the plan is exactly, but the plan is essentially in place to promote football in North America. And the Players Union, AFE, and their president, David Aganso, are strongly against this move, having released an official statement saying the league has, as usual, ignored the players and engages them in actions that only benefit La Liga. Aganzo is also quoted as saying, footballers are not currency that can be used in business to only benefit third parties. So here's the question. Is this a bad idea or the worst idea? I think it's in between the bad and the worst. <laughs> <laughs> right? I mean, it's not the worst idea, but again, it's just, it's all about money, right? It's just all about money. And, you know, I understand La Liga is trying to spread. You know, I ran an official Twitter poll yesterday. I've got about <laughs> 72 votes. And 68% of the people said they didn't like the idea. Okay, mm -hmm. so I don't like the idea. But this is going to happen. This has already been signed. So, again, my biggest complaint is that La Liga should focus on the issues here at home first before they can really make it a super league of the world, you know. Um, you know, like here I have noted, you know, ref abuse. They don't protect the refs here, the racism that's blatant in the crowds in the smaller tier divisions and so forth. And also just the permanent fixtures, you know, for example, we're going to talk about later. We got a, a note about visiting a match and you just can't plan it because the matches are floating. Essentially, you just know that they're going to be playing in Barcelona, but you don't have the time or date. And you have a rough idea of what week it will happen. Exactly. But the you exact the day and time, it's very exactly. hard to plan around. Which which really hurts people who are traveling from abroad to come see a match, right? So those are the, the issues that need to be fixed before they can really do this USA thing. Now, I was thinking last night, I was talking with my, my friend Luis. We were talking about this, about La Liga going to North America to play the match. And I came up with the most brilliant idea that they should play right before the Christmas break, right? So they come over to the States, they play the match, and then after they're able to recover and kind of do their own thing. So then it doesn't feel so uh, bunched up with the game that's coming up the following week, you know, and it benefits everyone. People in the U S get to see a La Liga, an official La Liga match, which is great. The players get that rest. So it's not asking too much of them. And then the La Liga benefits from that as well, you know, uh, getting the exposure in North America and everyone wins. But as we've documented my experiences here of organizational skills, Spanish style, this is not going to happen. Right. <laughs> 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 well, I I mean, you just know that they're going to push and push to get the Classico to be played in North America, right? I mean, that's that's got to be the thing that they're going to try and make happen. Yeah, of course, of course. But, you know, the thing, too, is... You or know, you, Ibar versus Huesca. Come no, out, come on out to Washington, D.C. Yeah, yeah, they're not going to do that. <laughs> they're, going, they're going to match up a top five team with with anyone else, you know, just to get that exposure, you know, but like I said, they, with my experience with how La Liga ex organizes things, you know, we've seen it on their website, just the different things they've done. They don't have a real plan on how to do this. So, you know, the players are going to be the, the victims in all this because they're going to be pushed to travel, play a game, then come back and play another game. Just, yeah, and I really like your idea. I think that's, that would absolutely be the best way to do it either just before the Christmas break or, well, I mean, or the last game of the season, but that sounds horrible also because you want to be in Spain. You want to be at home at the end of the season. So I think 
the the game right before the Christmas break would be the perfect one to do that to the players to force them to do that kind of traveling and to play a match. Now you have a little bit of experience with seeing the NFL games that have been played in London. How how do you think that affected the players and the game overall? And what was the atmosphere like in there? Well, the atmosphere was amazing because you have all these people who live in Europe, expats from the states that want to go see the match. The match gets sells out within hours, right? And it's really expensive. So I went to the match last year. It was the Cardinals and Rams. Uh, one of my really good friends works for the Cardinals, and so he called me up and told me I'm going to be in London. Let's meet up, and I said sure. So I went to the match, and of course, it's it's just really random because everyone's from everywhere there right so everyone is supporting their own jersey their own team but they're there just to watch the product right and right. to me the mat, you know the the game was okay i mean i've seen so many um you know i i've i worked in the nfl with games you know so much so i had all this experience of watching the games but for me it's just asking a lot you know especially coming from phoenix to london that flight right it's such a long flight then oh, yeah. to the time change the practice schedule to play a game and then to fly back then they also had a buy after that, so they were able to have some time to recover. But still, just the journey itself. And I've heard pundits like on ESPN, they say, well, they, they travel to Russia so much easy, and da, da, da. But still, you know, it's just the grind of it to, you know, they don't have buys, right, in La Liga. Exactly. So that's why I'm saying the Christmas break would be the best. But you're talking about in two months. Do you think they could put it together in three months, two months? I mean, no. I mean, no. that's so, Doubt you know, and, it's, and like I said, their organization skills are very lackluster. Yeah. Now, with the pushback from the players union, do you think that a player strike could develop from this? No, no, because I just think the money eventually is going to supersede all that. And the players are going to agree, you know, they're going to get a pay rise. They're going to get a bonus for doing this. They have to, you know, they're going to get something. So, um, you know, obviously the superstar players don't really care because they make so much money. But if you're talking about a bench player to get a bonus, I mean, that's going to definitely benefit them. So I don't think there's going to be a strike. They're going to work this out. Mm-hmm. It benefits every, I mean, in the long term, it's going to, it's an awesome thing because especially for Americans who cannot travel to Spain to see a match in person at the camp. Now, if Barcelona goes there, I mean, it's going to be an amazing experience to really see the starting eleven you know, a true starting 11, see Messi right, versus playing. the, the preseason U S tour squad. Exactly. And, you know, I understand that aspect, but for me, it's just, I just don't like it at all. I think they could wait just a little bit before they do this expansion. They need to, <laughs> well, like for you example, said, they need to, they need to cover some things at home. Exactly. First, just, for opinion. example, just enhance the, the view and experience here at home, you know, yeah. Um, just, just different things like that. Like, it just bothers me that it's, you know, like with Tebas and stuff, it's like they just see the money of that, right? And they could make even more money if they fix the product here in Spain first for the next two years and just focus on that. They'll get more from outside TV rights, people coming to see matches, and just revenue in that way. Yeah. Well, everyone, let us know what you think at BarsaTalk.net. We have a cool little chat bot there on the website who you can start things off with, and then we pick it up from there manually. So let us know what you think about this La Liga in the USA. There's still some transfer news, and uh, actually we're going to play a clip from the bonus episode that we did last Thursday for the uh, Patreon supporters of $6 and up. So here's that. There is a little bit of transfer news for me, uh, because since Vidal's signing to the first team and the departure of Dina Gomes, Mina to Everton, transfers to and from the first team have slowed down and At this point, I'd be surprised to see any more signings for the first team, really. But in Barca B, there was one, I think, important departure, and that was Jose Arnaiz being sold to Leganes. We signed him for a fee of 3.4 million euro from Valladolid last season, and now we've turned around and sold him to Leganes for 5 million. And I think that this is important because it signals a different direction for Barca B. Sanding our nice last season was the final act of an effort to make Barca be more competitive in the Segunda and sort of fashion them into a professional team. But with the relegation to Segunda B and replacing Gerard Lopez with Garcia Pimienta, they've shifted strongly, I think, back to the La Masia incubator model, promoting 11 players from Juvenil A to Barca B, and some of those players have already seen time with the first team in preseason. So while Arnaiz played well for us last year before he was injured, it looks like Pimienta's plans really don't involve him. So he's probably going to see a lot of minutes in the Primera with Leganes, and so I say good for him and good for Barca B. Yeah, definitely. And again, making that profit yet again, you know, quick little, even though it's only $2 million, but 
they still made a profit. Yeah, yeah it's not it's like the twenty million they made off of Yerimina. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it's just interesting to see how the philosophy has just changed a one eighty kind, you know, in less than a year essentially. And so I'm happy about this model. I know a lot of people on Twitter, as always, everyone has the romanticism of La Masia players coming up. So I think this is a good step in the right direction. And we're going to see if it pays, you know, dividend, um, especially, you know, especially everyone is on fire with the Ricky Pugh and, and I can't even say his name right. Pooch. Huge. Pooch. And uh, Pooch and Elena <laughs> coming up on the, on this, on the, on the team. Uh, everyone's fired up for that. So, you know, we want to have an integration of La Masia players, but we also want to get the big players as well. We want to have that nice kind of accordance with both, you know, and I think, that's what they're trying to do yet again. So we'll see uh, next year how they progress through the season and how these players develop as well. Now, since recording that, we have had one more departure, a Marlin to Sassuolo in Serie A on a 6 million euro transfer, having paid 5 million euro to Fluminense for him in 2017. And this marks, I think, the final stages of the transfer window as the first team unloads the players who don't fit into Val Green's plans. Uh, of course, there are also the non-EU player issues to to deal with, but still on the squad, but I think potentially on the market until the end of the window are Sergi Samper, Munir, maybe Rafinha. What do you think? Who who among those should stay and who should go? And what do you think the likelihood of any of them staying or going is? Well, last I heard Rafinha staying. Okay. Uh, last night before the, the match, they highlighted Rafinha on the um, on the telecast that I was watching last night, and they were talking about how uh, Val Green has confidence in him and he's going to be using him and he's going to stay. So that's the latest that I heard. Now with Munir and Samper, again, I could see both of them leaving or going, right? Because they're just at the at the end of the bench, essentially, obviously Samper recovering from injury. But with Munir, for example, it just depends. If he really wants to go, then they might find a place for him. But if he's comfortable where he's at right now, then I can see him staying. And again, like last night, he didn't even dress. So that's going to happen more often than not. Right. Yeah. So if he's fine, you know, sitting in third after Suarez and Paco, then I, I think the club will be perfectly fine to just keep him on. Uh, I, I don't think there's a whole lot of interest in in signing him on a transfer from any of the clubs, not that I've heard of. So at best case scenario, they'd be looking for a loan. But, you know, the end of the window is coming up pretty quick. And haven't heard any rumors about any bites. So, yeah, he'll probably be in that third slot. And, yeah, not dressing a lot of times. But if he's okay with that, then okay. Great, great, I guess. Yeah, and as we talked about this summer, this has been a great transfer market for Barcelona getting, um, selling players for profit, bringing in new players at good prices with a lot of potential. And, you know, we, we can all point to Abidal because he's the new person on the board, but I just think the strategy, this, this transfer market has been excellent. And again, you know, if we're just talking about Samper Munier, these type of things, these are our champagne problems. You know? Yeah, exactly. These are the, the best problems that we could have. I, I'm very pleased with this transfer window. Uh, I think Abidal did a great job, uh, but also, uh, you know, whoever else was in there from, from before good business over the break. And again, yeah, like you said, champagne problems. So let us know what you think at BarcaTalk.net. Now, next up after the break, our hopes for the season, Barca B and Barca Women. So last year, we won the double, the Copa, and just dominating the league. But there were cracks, vulnerabilities that were exposed mainly by Roma in the Champions League. Of course, it they had been exposed a little bit earlier. So what are you hoping to see, Gabriel, in this campaign? I mean, I want us to, you know, fight for the treble. Obviously, that's my the goal of every season, obviously. La Liga and Champions League, I want both of those. Those for me are the most important. And then obviously the Copa del Rey. You know, I really want Val Green to use the Copa del Rey to give the substitutes a campaign to fight for to give that completely to them and not even really use the starting 11, you know, maybe just use our complete bench for the Copa del Rey and just give them the opportunity. If we lose that, that's fine. But at least the the substitutes get some playing time and they can just be sharp, you know, because they'll be able to play during the week. And also that gives our, our starting 11 some rest as well. The other thing too, especially as they're watching last night's match, I just want Val Green to take more chances. You know, he has to remember that this is FC Barcelona and I'd like to clue about, right? So at home, we have to go for it. There's no reason to be conservative at home. 
these teams that we're going to play against that, you know, quote unquote, are at the bottom of the table, like, for example, all of those last night, they know, for example, they're going to park the bus, but we don't have to be so defensive. And my goal, you know, my hope for, for Val Green is that, you know, he's not conservative at home. You can be conservative on the road. That's fine. And also to rest the players and really gear up for the long season ahead. And hopefully we'll be able to achieve the trouble. Yeah, I completely agree with you. Uh, just a, a lot more squad rotation. We noticed last year how that was a problem. Uh, or, I mean, I think it was that Val Green didn't have the the whole squad that he really would have liked. And, and so we wound up with these situations where players were getting a little bit overtaxed, especially in those dog days where all the competitions were piling up on each other, especially in the later stages of the Champions League. And so players were tired and then, you know, there just wasn't as much rotation as we would have liked to see. So, of course, a lot more rotation this year. And like you were saying about uh, letting the, the second string play a lot more in the Copa del Rey. And right now, our second string, if you include new signings like Malcolm and Arthur as second string, that's still really strong. If you also include Carlos Alenia, Denny Suarez, of course, Sillison will be in goal. Uh, Semedo, giving him more time in that. I, I think he's still second choice, even though he started at right back uh, against Alaves, I think he's still second choice to Sergio Roberto and right back. And we'll, we'll talk more about that later, but yeah, Juan Miranda on left back, uh, of course, Longley. Yeah. But I mean, I think it's just, it gives them opportunity. It gives them confidence. And then if there's an injury to someone in the starting quote unquote 11, they'll, they'll be ready to play. They won't be out of so, you know, action for such a long time. So I think just giving them that Copa del Rey campaign just will give them more confidence and they'll get that chemistry playing with each other and also I just like I said I just want Val Green to realize again that his team our team we can attack and we should just go for it for these matches right. you know there's no reason to play conservative at home there's just no reason especially like last night we saw in the first half I mean obviously we're going to talk more about it but those are my dreams because I think they're going to lead to better Champions League run and obviously going to La Liga. Right. What are your hopes and dreams for this? Well, pretty much the same as you. And actually, this is echoed by a, one of our Patreon supporters and listeners. We got this from Cameron Wagner on the Patreon page. And he says, we have the team and depth to compete in every competition. We just have to hope EV, Ernie Valgreen, subs and uses players wisely. So this is exactly what we're talking about. Cameron went on. He says, everything we could hope for is in at the squad now. So overall, I would like to see us win Champions League and La Liga. So just like you said, um, Cameron goes on. He says, I'll be satisfied if we make it to the semis or finals and lose. But I believe we can win. Uh, just want to get past the quarters. I, you know, of course, he's talking about uh, Champions League there. We want to get past the quarters at least. Uh, of course, I would love to win it but at least past the quarters would be good for me. Um, and then he f concludes Copa del Rey would be amazing to win with our B team slash depth players, if at all possible. But this competition definitely would be on the back burner. And then he uh, concludes, thanks for y'all hard work. Enjoy every minute of it. So thanks, Cameron, for that. And again, this is exactly what you were just saying. This is exactly what I'm saying. I think we all agree that these are the, the main points that we uh, that we want to hammer, that we want to uh, see come into life this year. Yeah, there's no need to burn the players out, right? right. There, I mean, especially this year, he has the players that he chose, so he should be confident in his bench now. Now, I want to see that. You know, I want to see that in a midweek Copa del Rey match, roll out the second second tier team. You know, that's that's what's for. You know, like like Cameron said here, Copa del Rey for me is also the back burner. Focus on La Liga and Champions League, and every Kool-Aid is going to be happy with that. Right. I mean, a double with La Liga and Champions League is much better than a double with La Liga and Copa del Rey, right? I, I definitely agree with that. <laughs> and it's a bummer, right? Because I think the Copa del Rey is is still a fun competition, but there are certain vestiges of kind of like uh old school ism to it right it's you know it's open to all the divisions in spain in theory any anyone in the first or second division could win it and there's something so domestic about it but that also makes it for the international global sort of audience that something a team like fc barcelona is after it, it then it suddenly seems more provincial but i feel like it's it's still kind of a big deal in spain or or, well, I mean, you're on the ground there. You got boots on the ground in Spain. Do people actually care about Copa del Rey there? No. <laughs> <laughs> so even I mean, for them, yeah. they're, they're just I thinking, mean, why do we even do this? <laughs> well, the thing is, it used to have a lot of prestige, you know, because when the teams, for example, when Real Madrid and Barcelona were at the top, they still didn't have the depth, right? So there was, 
there was vulnerability in the Copa del Rey for an upset here and there. But now, obviously, with the top teams always dominating the Copa del Rey, the bottom upsets don't happen as often. But for me, I would, I would, what I would do to, to make it even a bigger event is just like the Super Bowl. You know, have a specific venue, rotate it and gear it up. And, and then people would be excited to do that. If people know where the venue is already, they can gear up for that plan around that. You know, this year, let's say they say Copa del Rey is going to be in Bilbao at the, at the, at the San Mamez, which is a great stadium over there, right? It's a new stadium. Then all of a sudden it's, they can do the campaign, the road to Bilbao, Copa del Rey, like they can, like they do for the Super Bowl, you right. know, and it would, it would get everyone excited because everyone knows the venue and you do the publicity of that. But then when they decide a month before, uh, we don't know, we're going to do it in Changiers. It's like, what? <laughs> like how, you know, it's, well, yeah. It's, and it's that like a planning that I've talked about that they're losing the ability to have people get excited for the Copa del Rey. If you have a specific venue, just as they do in the Super Bowl. So, and that's exactly the kind of thing that I think get, makes it seem so provincial is how they don't know what venue they're going to play the final in until three weeks or a month before the match. If that, I mean, we talked about it last season. They they should do a rotating schedule of these venues. You know, have it in Valencia, Sevilla, both stadiums in Sevilla, Barcelona, both stadiums in Barcelona, Camp Nou and Espanol one, Bilbao, and obviously the Madrid one the two Madrid ones, it would be an amazing event and you just rotate them and everyone knows ahead of time and you plan for it. You do all the publicity, the campaigns, you know, the road to Sevilla, Copa del Rey, boom, done, you know, and you have it. And like you were saying, you know, that incentivizes the, uh, the team that normally who's, who calls that stadium home and it incentivizes them to try a little bit harder for the Copa that year, because they know if they can get to the final, they'll have some home advantage. Yeah. And also, but like, imagine if you are abroad, right. And you want to go check out the Copa del Rey final, you know exactly where it is and you can bring more international people that know exactly where the venue is and the time. So it, it just, it helps with everything. It just makes it a more exciting event. People will, like you said, the team, it'll incentivize the team who's hosting to, to want to be in the final, to win it at home. Yeah. Now that was a bit of a digression, but so we want to ask you guys, what are your hopes for this season? Give us your hottest takes, your biggest concerns, your loftiest dreams. Go to BarsaTalk.net and start the conversation with the chatbot, and we'll pick it up from there. You could also make a recording on your phone and send it to BarsaTalkPod at gmail.com if you want. Now, there was this other uh, message that we got from a listener named Ricardo about ticket buying strategies for that. And um, he's in Virginia, and he told us, uh, my girlfriend and I are going to Barcelona for the first time in November, and I would love to watch my first in-person Barca game while there. During the week we will be there, Barca will be playing Atletico Madrid and at Atletico Madrid. Do you have any advice as to how I can go about purchasing tickets for the game? I realize it might be difficult and expensive, but any insight you can provide, if any, would be helpful. So this was really for you, Gabriel, since you're you're in Madrid and you know about these things. So what did, what did you tell Ricardo? Yeah, so I, I've been to the two matches. I've been to a Clasico and I've been to a match against Atletico, uh, both at the Camp Nou. So you can do two things. Obviously, if you don't want to have stress and you just want to have the tickets in hand, buy them off the secondhand market. It's going to be a little more expensive. However, you'll you'll have the ticket. And most importantly, you'll be able to get two tickets side by side. Because the sooner you buy them, the cheaper it's going to be. Obviously, leading up to game day, the prices are going to increase. So for this match, I would just buy those tickets now online if you want. If you don't want to have doubt of attending the game and, and obviously sitting with your girlfriend or your friend. Now, I went to the Classico, and the other strategy you can do is wait for the game day a couple hours before they release the tickets to all the general public. And I was able to get a ticket for the Classico at 60 euros. Nice. Um, but however, I wasn't able to sit with my dad. My dad was about three sections away. <laughs> and yeah, so, you know, you, I was able to go to the Classico. I went with my dad. It was awesome. Uh, but however, we couldn't sit together which was a bummer. I was sitting you know, by myself. I mean, obviously with uh, Barcelona fans and everything, and that was great, but that's the one strategy you can do as well. And you can get them at cost, but again, you're not going to be able to sit with each other. And it's a little bit riskier because it just depends on the amount of people attending the, the match and, and, and so forth. So those are the two ways. Obviously the secondhand market is going to be the best way, especially if you're uh, traveling from Spain, you know, and you want to be able to attend the match for sure. Yeah. I don't think I would have the, uh, the courage to wait until to travel all the way to Spain and then wait until game day to see if I could get a ticket. Now, on the other hand, I feel like if I were to go to the next time I go to Spain, Megan and I are going to go together, right? 
Um, and I feel like she would actually be perfectly happy to just go do her own thing while I go watch a soccer match. So for me, the, the ticket, the, the separation of tickets probably wouldn't be too big a concern. But I, like, I want to know where my seat is before I even get on the plane. I want to know that I have tickets <laughs> before I even get out of the United States. So that's – yeah, that's definitely what I would do. And I'm willing to, to pay a premium for that myself. So for anyone else who's planning on traveling to Spain, that's, uh, that's, our, that's our travel advice. Buy the tickets ahead of time on the secondhand market. Now, real quick, uh, just a couple of headlines about Barca B and the women. Uh, Barca B won a friendly against Cornea on Saturday, 3 to nothing, which is good. Segunda B starts for Barca on the 26th against Alcoyano on the road. And then Barca women lost a friendly to Montpellier uh, just on Saturday, 1-2. to two. And Liga Femenina starts on September 9 with Barca playing Athletic Club in Bilbao. Now, next week, we'll have a full report from our Barca women correspondent contributor who's just joined the show, Michelle Taylor. We've had her on before, but she'll be a regular feature on the podcast this year. You can also follow her on Twitter at Barca Women. And two weeks from now, you'll hear from our new Barca B correspondent, Max Bluer. Is that right, Gabriel? It's not French. <laughs> it's, it's not blue. It's bluer. Yeah, yeah, just Max Bluer. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So we're excited to have Max and Michelle as contributors on the show. Now they're going to be uh, they're going to be covering Barca women and Barca B for us. And next week you'll start hearing from them on a regular basis. Now coming up, the first team when we return. All right, so La Liga, match day one against Alaves. Uh, it was at the Camp Nou Saturday night, and of course the result was Barcelona won 3 to nothing with two goals from Messi and one from Coutinho. So the starting lineup for Barcelona last night was Ter Stegen in goal, Semedo, Pique, and Titi Alba. In defense, uh, your boy Sergio Roberto. Yes. In the midfield, Busquets, Rakitic, and of course Dembele, Suarez, and Messi. So they were on the TV telecast that I was watching, they were saying 4-3-3. And they were in the first half, pretty much in a 4-3-3. Um, obviously, I think the biggest surprise in the starting lineup for me was uh, Coutinho not getting the start. I definitely thought he was going to get the start. But again, we have such a crowded team now with such quality players that some players are going to sit out now. And, you know, obviously Coutinho came in the second half and really sparked the team. Yeah, when he came on, the whole game changed. And I do think that if we're imagining an ideal or a best starting 11 with this squad, Coutinho has to be in it. Definitely. And I was talking to this with my friend last night that I think for Barcelona this season, we did, we can't be in a 4-3-3. Mm. I think it limits us, especially at home. At home, we should be 4-2-3-1. It gives us great attacking. It puts the players in the best position. You have Coutinho out wide, Dembele out wide. It, cre- it makes Messi the playmaker that he wants to be, and Suarez is up there in the middle. And so it puts everyone in the best position. Rakitic and Busquets or whoever's playing that that two in the formation, they can hold the fort down. And you saw last night, Umtiti's a, a, an animal with how good he is at defending, and PK is so smart too. So for me at home, I think the 4-2-3-1 going forward, and we can interchange, you know, put Vidal for Busquets or Artur for Rakitic and, and uh, Sergio Roberto up top for Dembele if we need to, you know. So it gives us – that flexibility. And as we saw when Coutinho came in, our attack, he just had so much teeth. Yeah, absolutely. Now, uh, as far as the lineup, we talked about our starting 11s for this match last Thursday in the Patreon bonus episode. And I'm pleased to say that I got nine out of 11 right. And I was most pleased that Sergi was in midfield. But that's exactly what kept Coutinho out of the starting lineup. And I think Valgreen is trying to develop Sergi into that midfield role and Dembele into the team in general. So it actually was not our strongest 11 to start off with. But as I see it, this was part of a larger project. Yeah. And the other thing, too, is, you know, with our strongest 11, Sergio Roberto playing right back is 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 that in our strongest 11, I think, because right. he's on the field. He can overlap. And also having Rakitic and Busquets anchor that midfield for us and then everyone else going forward. You know, Semedo last night, obviously I was pleased to get see him get the start. But again, he's still a work in progress, essentially. He made some good runs. But again, just a link-up play with him and Dembele or Messi up there, it just, it's just not as fluid as it is with Sergio Roberto. Right. But do you remember when Sergio Roberto started playing in right back? I mean, it was – I know that Semedo has been playing right back a lot longer and he's trained at that – position more so maybe it's not a fair comparison but I remember when Luis Enrique started playing Sergio Roberto there at right back at first man it was a 
it was a nail biter. <laughs> just every game, I'm like, oh, please don't, don't screw up. <laughs> yeah, I mean, because, you know, he's not defense first, right? But the other thing that he does so well is he's able to possess, pass, and move. And that's where Tomato lacks, right? Tomato is physical. He's raw. He's really fast. And that's, it's really great to have that speed because no one can beat him down, down the flank. But especially in the second half, when Sergio Roberto came back to the right, all of a sudden you saw that, you know, it was super dynamic. Obviously Coutinho brought that as well. So you had it on both ends and, you know, our strongest 11 has to have Sergio Roberto, but I just think it's going to be a right back as opposed to in the midfield. Yeah, you're probably right. Now, as far as Alaves goes, you know, their last competitive match was at the end of last La Liga season, match day 38 against Sevilla at the Sanchez Piz one, which they lost one to nothing. And Abelardo fielded a 4-4-2 Magic Boxes style formation with uh, Burgui and Sobrino in the winger roles. And former Barca wonderboy Bojan Kurgic in one of the striker roles, he was on loan there, along with Demirovic. And they only managed four shots on target, but at the same time, they held Sevilla to just one goal, despite their 10 shots on target. And their lineup for this match, it looked like a 4-3-3 on the lineup sheet, but in defense, where they spent most of their time, they had two lines of four and five with just Sabrino up top. They were looking to transition on the counterattack with those wingers getting forward quick to support Sabrino, but job one for them was clearly to stay compact in their own half and close off space. And even then, Barca were still opening them up. They got 11 shots in the first half and another 14 in the second. But there were some defensive highlights for all of us. I got to hand it to them a little bit. You know, off one of their free kicks in the 28th minute, Barca got that counter on, and Dembele was on the ball with Messi downfield, and his pass was just narrowly blocked, I think it was by LaGuardia, to shut down the play. And had that pass gotten through, we would have been ahead much earlier. Also, the goalkeeper for Alaves, Fernando Pacheco, he had a really good game, despite being scored on thrice. You know, there was that play in the 39th minute when Dembele was in on goal, picked his shot, but Pacheco saved it. Then in the 73rd minute, saved a shot from Suarez. And again in the 82nd when Messi played in Coutinho with that red carpet pass. And another in the 90th to deny Messi a second goal, at least, uh, you know, temporarily. Yeah, Alaves last year, they finished strong. You know, they had they got a new coach. And with those players that you mentioned, they were able to finish the season pretty strong. When these type of teams come to the camp, no, they're going to put 10 in the back. And that's essentially what it looked like. You know, at times it was 10 people with one striker ready for the counter. Again, the first half for me was super boring. It was the typical, we were just dancing around, passing, you know, horizontally and really not taking any shots. And to me, that's my biggest gripe with this, with these tactics of this 4-3-3 at the beginning. We never take enough shots. And I don't know if you noticed, Messi was in the right corner yes. at the beginning of the match, right? We and talked so about in, this during the match a little bit. Yeah. And he was up providing that with, but then you saw with him not being in the middle, we were lacking any playmaking. No one was taking a chance, you know, maybe Dembele a couple times, but there was nobody that was causing havoc or trouble. And again, Suarez just looked, <laughs> he just looked, he, he's working himself into the season. That's what he looks like. Right. <laughs> yeah, right. That's, that's the, that's the generous way of putting it. I know that there are some fans who are, um, probably increasingly impatient with Suarez. I'm fine with saying he needs time to warm up into the season. That's just, that's his process. He's an artist and this is his process. <laughs> Let him I mean, work. Yeah. I mean, yeah. That's the thing. He just, you know, he just still looks, he's that he was on a preseason banquet tour, you know, right. he doesn't look sharp as he usually is. You know, today when I was reading Twitter, people are just complaining about his play. Again, it's, it's, He's just, like we talked about, he's ham-footed sometimes. You know, the passing that he decides to make is always the wrong pass. And it's, but then he'll have a, a moment of brilliance where you're like, okay, again, that's Luis Suarez again. But, right. you know, like we said, Olivez was parking the bus. They were just trying to be conservative, um, trying to absorb all that pressure. And in the first half, they were doing well because no one was taking shots. No one was taking chances. No one was being direct. And again, that is my biggest gripe at home. We, we don't need to be this conservative. Right. Uh, now, I was just reading a piece because all of us, they had a total of three shots. Two were off target, right? So that's pretty good ratio for Barca's defense. And I was just reading a piece on AS by Juan Jimenez about what Barcelona need to do this season to retain the La Liga title. And number one, and I'm sure you would agree with this, was maintain the same defensive solidity they had last year. We were second to Atletico in goals conceded last year, but we also scored a ton more. So 
we need to maintain a defensive record just like that this year. And I think that as far as our defense goes, any attempt that uh, Alaves made to counter was easily snuffed out by PK and Umtiti and, and Ter Sagan. Yeah, I mean, I definitely agree with that article. I mean, they last year they were so much better defensively. They were more sound. They were more, you know, just able to cover each other better. So they need to maintain that. But again, when we're at home against Alaves, like we said, they had three shots. They had some opportunities on the counter, but it was all snuffed out by Utiti and PK and Ter Stegen. So for me, they need to just, like I said, the four-two-three-one is going to give us that balance at home. We're going to have more teeth in the attack with Coutinho and Dembele cutting in and messy playmaking. And that's what we need to do because, like I said, the first half was such a snooze fest. I don't like that type of playing because I know that, you know, obviously the theory with the possession, right? We have the possession. They don't have the ball. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, we want to win the game. Right. Score some goals. <laughs> you know, that's the other thing too. And Alaves is not going to keep the ball. That's not their, that's not their goal. So if we take a shot – we're going to get the ball right back. Right. So I don't, and I mean, I think well, we have yeah. the possession of like and that, 95% or something. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that comes back to Barca's defensive uh, performance, right? They were playing with their high line, uh, fullbacks pretty much all the way forward, mostly just PK and Umtiti in the back at the halfway line, or sometimes even in Alaves's half, but keeping the pressure in the middle third when Alaves did get the ball to let our fullbacks get back a little bit. That was part of our defensive strategy was to, because of course, again, Alaves was trying to just get some, get the ball and then put it out to Sabrino, or maybe later on they started putting it out wide for their wingers to try and get them on the counter. But when they were just looking to get it to Sabrino, PK or MTT, he was always outmanned, right? So they were able to shut that down or at least put enough pressure on him and give us time, give the fullbacks time to, to come back a little bit. So they were able to shut off most of those counters and the most troubling moments for whatever there were came when Alaves went out wide with their outlet pass rather than going inside to Sabrino, but we still held them to only three shots. None were on or just about only one were on target. Enter Stegen. He didn't have to make any saves at all, but he did have to work a little more in the second half when all of us were getting some more counters on, but he was smart about when to come out and he wound up putting out all of the fires. Yeah. I think Ter Stegen, again, he is so brilliant when he comes out like that a couple times. I remember there was one time where he just like chipped the ball over, right? Ter Stegen is the quarterback back there and the communication he has with Mtiti and PK is rock solid. So going forward this season, I have no problem with that battery, as we like to call it. They're rock solid. They're going to have a great year. Again, Alaves only had the trouble when they went out wide, like you said, and that was just because they were able to expose that space. But again, they didn't, they didn't have any attacking prowess when they got there. They just made bad passes, and we were able to win the ball back immediately. Right. Now, I want to come back to what you were saying about uh, how you think the four-two-three-one is the best formation for, for Barca. So in that four-two-three-one you're proposing, you'll have Busquets and Rakitic or maybe Vidal in the line of two just in front of the defense. Then Messi, Coutinho, and Dembele in the line of three, and Suarez, maybe Paco up top. And uh, if, if I understand that right. And I like that lineup. It has a lot of balance, but still a lot of attacking power. Now, do you also see Malcolm or Arthur fitting into that, and how? Yeah, definitely. I mean, you can put Malcolm in the right uh, where Dembele would play, mm-hmm. you know, and then you can move Dembele over to Coutinho, or you can put Sergio Roberto where Dembele is. You have a lot, you have so much flexibility because. Those are the, where the players are their strongest. You can put Archer where Rakitic is, Vidal where Busquets is, and we don't really lose that much. So that's why I like the four-two-three-one because Messi wants to play, make, and score goals. And when he's in that middle, I just want him to go to the right more often. Right. You know, that's all I want. You know, right. but obviously he's unstoppable. You see now when he gets fouled, you, he gets he had two opportunities last night, two free kick opportunities, and he scored one. Right. And the game before that, he had, he hit the woodwork. So. When he's in the middle, he creates so much problems, so many problems for the defense, and especially when you have that spacing with Coutinho and Dembele. If you're a defender, your head's on a swivel, and you're just praying to get through the 90 minutes to not give up so many plays and goals. And and that's Alves did a really good job holding the forks, but the goals eventually came. Yeah. Now, I of the goals, for me, normally I like goals that come from the run of play. I'm not a big fan of uh, – dead ball situation goals and that's just because i have my own weird tastes and preferences but i have to say that 
the first goal in the 64th minute when they were trying to crowd Messi out and he drew the foul. Just the way he can stay on the ball and even when three, four guys are trying to get it away from him, he gets the foul rather than giving up the ball. And he got his second free kick from really prime real estate and he put it away this time beneath the wall, which I always find uh, like like a cheeky fun way to score on a free kick and that was Barcelona's 6,000th goal in La Liga history so he he's again setting more records both for himself and the club you know what what can you say I mean I, I mean, <laughs> here's what Ray Hudson I'm, said you know Ray Hudson right yeah you don't course. get to hear him commentate watching in Spain no, I, I watched the highlights in the morning with Ray Hudson yes well uh, you know, he's the master of, of beautiful and unexpected metaphors. And the best one that uh, my friend Connor shared with me was Ray Hudson said, cloud technology could not store Messi's brilliance. Ooh, that's <laughs> that's absolutely brilliant. Yeah. I love that. I mean, last night I was talking with my friend and, and we just take for granted how great Messi is. You know, he he had two free kick opportunities and he scored one. It's incredible. I was watching this weekend a mix of games. I was watching some Premier League games. I watched some La Liga games. And when a free kick comes, I have faith that the guy's not going to score. You know, it's it's the it's the opposite feeling that I have for Messi. And that's just crazy because free kicks are so hard to score. There's so many variables in the match, right? That's why, you know, when you practice, you have the the dummies that are tall and, and these types of things. But in a match, you have so many different variables. And the way he's able to score recently on this run of free kicks i mean he he basically hit the post before absolutely you know so it wasn't it wasn't anything that he is missing so high like ronaldo does you know how ronaldo skies him out of the out of the stadium right right messi's so accurate now he he these are easy ways for him to score brian i personally love these free kick goals because i used to do the free kicks on my team right and i'm a lefty as well so to see the angles i can really kind of measure up and see Okay, this is a this is an amazing angle for a lefty. Oh, this is a little bit tight, you know, whatever. And the second one, I said, "Oh my god, this is brilliant. This is perfect for a lefty." And then obviously to score under the goal, only him and Ronaldinho too. You know, the only players that actually try this and actually perfect it and execute it. And again, it's just and it's brilliant. I mean, what can you say? I mean, he's just. I and I still can't believe he plays for Barca because we're just. How did he fall to us? You know, and it's just every week. He does something brilliant. The the last week in the Supercopa, you know, he he was brilliant. I mean, he's brilliant all the time. Yeah, I mean, find being willing to sign him given his I mean, we're going way back to his origin stories here, right? But the intelligence to sign him even given his hormone deficiency, but to see his brilliance and his talent and his competitive spirit at such a young age was the single smartest thing anyone has ever done for Barcelona. I agree to have him sign on that napkin, you know, yeah. there are some and, other great decisions that have been made yeah, over yeah. time, but that has to be at the top. Yeah. I mean, it's funny because, you know, we take him for granted, you know, obviously just seeing him week in and week out. And I was just thinking about this because the other day I was watching, this is really random. I was watching this YouTube video on Pogba where they did like a cross promotion with the NFL. So they had him do different NFL drills and the NFL player had to do different football drills and so forth. And we always talk about Messi's first touch, mm-hmm. how amazing it is. Velvet. And Pogba is an elite player, right? His first touch looks so hammy <laughs> compared to what we think Messi's because he's trying these different things, you know, trying to show off, and he's couldn't, he couldn't pull them off. And we see Messi in the match, how he's able to draw the ball down so easily in this foul, how he's able to shake people off. A couple minutes later, he slips, then hits the woodwork again. I mean – this guy's incredible, especially just watching him game in and game out. I love it. It's such a pleasure. And yeah, man, just the thing he does, he just makes it so easy. I know. Messi has feet like hands. That's what it is. So Suarez has the ham foot, but Messi has hand feet. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That's I a mean, very put, subtle I mean, distinction there. Exactly. And you think about all the passes he does over 20 yards, how they just uh, – They was go one exactly play where, where he, he wants them. <laughs> yeah. He dropped it right at Dembele's feet perfectly with the right pace, the right touch. It was maybe a 35-yard pass crossway, and Dembele didn't have to do anything. He just stopped the ball perfectly, and he was able to move. I mean, no other – man. If you I mean, had soccer this, golf, but... he would be the yeah, Tiger exactly. Woods of soccer golf. Exactly. So, again, it was just a brilliant goal, and – Again, just to be able to kick underneath to know when to do it, right? Because you can't do it all the time. But 
he's done it before and he'll do it again. Yeah. Yeah. We, we did get a little far afield there, didn't we? <laughs> but so back to this, this LFS match, some final thoughts, uh, you know, after signing Coutinho last year and the signings we made over the summer, we knew going into this year that we had a ton of depth. Um, I was of course, happy to see Sergi starting in the midfield, but Taking Semedo out for Coutinho, then shifting Sergi to right back was a great move, and one we'll probably see a lot of this season. Sergi was fine in midfield, but he was not as dynamic or incisive as one might hope. So putting Coutinho in there on the left, moving Rakitic to the right was a great change. I mean, he made Val Green made one substitution, but it shifted three players. It was a three-for-one change. So with one substitution, suddenly we have a whole different team. So not just our depth, but the flexibility of some of these guys can turn one substitution into a big change in the tactic, and that's going to pay big dividends this season. Yeah, I agree. And like we talked about earlier, just Coutinho in the big matches is going to be vital, you know, because of what he can bring, the shot-making he can do. Especially, I just don't understand how players allow Coutinho to cut in with his right. I mean, everyone knows the book. Right. It's, I mean, with Messi, it's the same thing. You know he's going to go left, and he's still able to pull it off, even though you know he's going to go left. So, again, Coutinho coming from the left, Dembele coming from the right, Messi up the middle. I mean, it's just unstoppable. We should be able to score two to three goals a game with this type of attacking prowess. So, like you said. See, I thought you were going to say two to three hundred goals this season. No, no, no. <laughs> No, that no, would no. be crazy, though. Yeah, no, no, no. I mean, two <laughs> to three goals a game. We're going to have so many opportunities. I mean, look how many shots we had tonight yeah. you know, in this match. I mean, it's we're talking double digits, 25 yeah. <laughs> total shots about, you know. Yeah. And a lot of them, you know, we, we hit the wood a couple times. And so I just want Val Green to be less conservative at home. Right. You know, with this match, we could have put the match earlier away in the first half. With well, the lineup we, that we had. We had our chances, but actually Alaves did, they just managed to just narrowly shut down a couple of good chances early on. We could have scored early on. But like you said prior, that Sergio Roberto doesn't have the same direct line passing that Messi has, and that's what we were lacking in the first half. You know, we were going side to side. Busquets is not going to really make that uh, amazing through ball all the time, and Rakitic doesn't like to take those chances. So that's what I was saying. Yeah, we had some opportunities, but Dembele was all by himself, and especially with out of shape Suarez, you know, we it's basically <laughs> playing a man down up there. So Dembele and Messi were were holding their own, and as soon as you, you said the Coutinho sub three for one change, that definitely changed the dynamic. Yeah. Uh, the game yeah and just to revisit this for a second Messi you know he opened his account for the year with the club 6,000th goal in La Liga and what I like about that stat is how it focuses on the club team goals throughout its history in La Liga and I don't know how that stacks up to other clubs but it seems like a lot of goals it's a lot of goals (laughs) it's it's a lot of goals you know (laughs) I didn't check for instance how many goals Real Madrid has as a club in La Liga history. I didn't I didn't cross reference that. But it seems like a lot of goals. Yeah, exactly. Who it cares? And now well, we're I mean, at six thousand two. So And I think also Messi scored the five thousandth goal. That's what my, my friend was telling me last night really? too. Yeah. So yeah. um yeah, it's just amazing. Obviously, like you said, team goals and also team success, especially you know, I saw an interesting stat the other day on Twitter where it said the amount of titles before Messi arrived compared to Real Madrid, I think it was something 72 to 62. And now since Messi, it's 98 to 95. Wow. You can just see how many titles, you know, with the success of Messi and all what he's done for the club. I mean, it was a great stat. I love that they had that. I don't, did you see the video of it on the video board? Because, you know, on the camp, no, they have a, a terrible video board. It's one of these oh, video yeah, boards yeah, from I did the seventies, you know, and they just do the 6,000, like the confetti covered out. Right. Like, wow. <laughs> yeah. Well, they are, uh, they are renovating the cap now. So maybe they'll upgrade to a new jumbotron, but overall, this is a really good start to the season. I was telling a friend who asked me what I thought that, uh, just like you were saying before, that it's always a drag when I have to watch Barca try to break down a team like that, but it's also something that you get used to because it's just not as exciting of a game. But I was impressed with how they did eventually break them down, of course, happy with the win. And that same friend said he would bench Dembele for Coutinho, and I know that you're already opposed to that, and I disagree with that also. It's not so much a benching, right? Because it's almost rotation you have to think of. Right. You know, it's not... Because 
Coutinho didn't start. It's not a benching. We can't think of it that way because there's so many matches. You know, we're not a team who's only in the league, you know, where we have three competitions. So I look at it more as a rotation. So I want Dembele to get more playing time this year. I think he'll have a, a bigger impact. But again, it just goes to the rotation of those players, giving Malcolm some more time. Because right now, we don't need them to be exhausted by October, right? So we can use this rotation. Like I said, at home, four, two, three, one, I think is the best benefit of everything. We're sound defensively and we have the attacking and the ability to score a lot of goals. Well, especially right now, rotation is going to be key because we've already talked about how later on in the season, I think in September, October, we're going to have four weeks in a row just in La Liga of really tough opponents. Whereas right now with, Alaves and next week Valladolid and then after that I forget who it is but it's another oh Huesca of course it's Huesca <laughs> you know we need to be doing rotation now keeping players not rested but you know keeping them fresh not overtaxing them because later on we're gonna have that that strong starting 11 going hard every week for about four weeks in a row and that it's going to I think end with a Clasico so I'll, as far as the Dembele Coutinho thing I was telling him last night the difference between Coutinho and Dembele right now uh, of course, they play slightly differently, uh, but Coutinho is just more mature than Dembele in that he knows how to use his skill towards the ultimate goal, which is to score goals. Dembele, he wants to score goals, but he hasn't quite worked his skills into, you know, channeling his skills into that that end. And he needs time to work on that. But he clearly has a ton of skill. He's just such a raw talent. And he is smart and he's got great moves, but now we just need to, he needs time on the pitch to develop that maturity to channeling those skills into scoring goals. So he does need time on the pitch and it's going to pay off. But also, you know, you've proposed this great lineup that has both of them in it, which I think is good as well. Thank you, Brian. Yeah, you're I welcome. Am a t- I'm a tactical expert. No, just kidding. You're, you know, you, 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 yeah, you yeah. have ideas. Thank, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I like football. <laughs> um, you know, last night with Dembele, he had some flashes of brilliance where he almost dribbled through and able to score that goal, if you remember that play. Mm-hmm. And, but then he has these moments, too, where he's still raw, where he could have made a pass, I think was to Messi in the open, and all he had to do was kick it in the air, and he kicks it on the ground, and, of course, it gets blocked right. on the counterattack. So there's things like that where he just needs to work on. And, again, his speed and his flashes of brilliance, you know the talent is there. So, again, I want to see him play more often, but, again – it's just using the rotation, just coming up with a rotation where all these, you know, we're not using these players up. And like you said, we have that run coming up that ends with the Classico because that's going to be crucial because we need to have maximum points or try to get maximum points from that run. So next week we're playing against Bio the Lead. I don't really know anything about them, Brian. They are. <laughs> <laughs> but I'll tell you what I found out, okay? okay. I just, I just, so they just got promoted. Uh, they won the playoff last year, so that was pretty exciting. Um, they're located, in, like I want to say, an hour train ride away from Madrid. So they're in the north. They're in um, a different region. Again, they're really excited to be back in the in the Premier. And um, you know, they're looking to sign more players right now. I just read that they're looking to sign some players from Watford and so forth. So they're looking to shore up their team so that they can stay in the Premier. But other than that, again, this is the type of team that we should be able to beat. And I could see us going into a four four two in this match to start off with. Right. Well, I watched their their match against uh, Hirona on Friday, and the best part of their squad right now is their goalkeeper, our former goalkeeper, third goalkeeper Jordi Masip, and they just acquired him last year, and I think he was a big contribution to why they got promoted this year. But in this first match um, on Friday, he was the man of the match, so that should tell you how Valladolid are, were playing, if you didn't see it, because it was a scoreless draw, and it's clear that Valladolid don't have much going on in attack, looking for the quick counter-attacking outlet pass, but without really being good at that. And their midfield is a mess at times, so that's good for us. But their back four are strong, and I expect them to play a similar lineup to what they did against Girona, a 4-2-3-1 with two defensive midfielders to get effectively six in the back, at least to draw Barcelona further forward in greater numbers, hoping to look for those, those counters into the space behind. But what about you out there listening? Do you think we need to worry at all about Valladolid? What kind of lineup should Val Green start? 
Tell us what you think at barsatalk.net. Barsa Talk is written by Gabriel Quiroga and myself, Brian Henderson. Editing and music is by Brian Henderson. Social media management by Gabriel Quiroga. Tell a friend about us and become a supporter of the show. Just kick in a few bucks a month at our website, barsatalk.net. Until next time, Visca Barça. Sports Social Podcast Network. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.